Senator Bullworth, the news today requires us to ask you about this sudden change in your campaign style. <laughs> Come on. Could you explain it? Why are you here? Let's admit it. You're here because you're making a bundle, right? <clears throat> I uh, beg your pardon? Oh, you mean you're not here because you're getting paid a bundle of money. Come on, come on. We got three pretty rich guys here getting paid by some really rich guys to ask a couple of other rich guys questions about their campaign. <laughs> but our campaigns are financed by the same guys that pay you guys your money. <laughs> so, I mean, what are we talking about? I'm bringing a man down there. If they don't like anyway, it, they can kiss my right, ass. Um, I could tell you stories about getting money from these guys that would pin your ears back. <laughs> you have stories about me. I mean, uh, I don't know about uh, Hugh. Do you have that? Uh, but uh, I tell you, we got a club, right? Republicans, Democrats, what's the difference? You know, your guys, my guys, our guys, us guys. It's a club. So why don't we just uh, have a drink? I was so excited when I saw that you had that series with Tom and like this is like no this is an insane moment for me like I I've like no like this is like way more of an honor for us like I like we like everyone in the Midwest like everywhere fucking every car you got into grab the gauge like this is a one of the highest honors oh, you old school with it <laughs> yeah. don't tell people how old I am yeah, same. But now, real talk, that's one of my favorite. That's one of the favorite beats of all. Like that shit is hard. Yeah, your yeah, your verse on that is like yeah. No, I still fucking listen to that. I was literally like probably like fucking fourteen. Wow! Oh my god, you're fourteen when you did that. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I wrote everything. <laughs> I I couldn't do anything when I was fourteen. What the, I couldn't do anything when I was twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking. Am- I had no idea. I God love, damn. I love how fucked up the mastering is on all those early mixtapes. It sounds like they were recorded in hell, but <laughs> it really was recorded in hell in a little bit ass closet that felt very similar to hell, actually. <laughs> it was part of the hot box. All right, well let's let's kick this let's kick this one off. Um it's hello, it's Chapo. Uh we got a we got a on for you today, we got a, we're coming through the movie episode. Now, uh today's movie is uh, a movie that's been pretty much totally forgotten in our culture. It's a movie about uh, politics and rap music. Uh, we've got the politics covered, uh, but for the rap, we've got a genuine expert. Uh, we are very excited, of course, to be joined by the legendary Gangsta Boo. Gangsta Boo, welcome to the show. That's me back there, too. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Gangsta Boo, we're, uh, we're very excited that uh, you're joining us to help break down this, uh, this long-forgotten movie. Uh, this Really, honestly, the thing that's lasted the longest about this movie was uh, the soundtrack, thanks to the, uh, yeah. the single uh, Ghetto Superstar with uh, Maya, Praz, and Old Dirty Bastard. My eyes are sore, being a son at all behind um, It went platinum. Uh, the movie was well-reviewed and certainly of the moment. But uh, it's been pretty much memory hold, and I think it's because of all of the grim and brutal truths. I am, of course, talking about a film that is a tribute to a bygone era of lyrical, socially conscious rap music from one of the greatest to ever touch the mic. Of course, I'm talking about Warren Beatty, and the movie is Bullworth. <laughs> Bullworth. Uh, Gangsta Boo, uh, first of all, I got to ask, uh, had you seen Bullworth before? No, no, I've never watched it. I never even heard of it until now. Well, this movie came out in 1998, and I got to ask, your debut album, Inquiring Minds, also came out in 1998. Uh, was, it hard, was it hard to come out on the scene and break out in an era when Warren Beatty was killing the rap game so hard? <laughs> yes, it was extremely hard. Jesus Christ. Fucking um, a, a, a huge competition. <laughs> huge competition. I saw this movie for the first time. I saw it six years after it came out. Uh, I saw it in 2004, like in my like disgusting room uh, when I was like a kid. It was, I was in like eighth grade, and I was playing Diablo two on my computer and watching this on uh, on the on demand shit, like proto on demand. 
And I remember being like a little kid and people being excited about this movie. And it's like, even in 2004, even in 2004, it's like, it's like was weirdly like dated. And now when you watch it, you're like, this is amazing. Like it's so, it's a time capsule, but it's not a time capsule for a specific time. It's a time capsule for like a type of person's mind frame. It's like for people like my dad, this is like going into the mind of someone who was born in 1950 and like never voted for a Republican, like a white guy like that, like what their true desires were. That's why it's amazing. Like it, it is like all the people that this movie kind of portrays, they don't exist anymore. Like they became like Oliver Stone type liberals. Like they, they became like Obama to Trump people or like just became like MSNBC people. But like this type of lib doesn't exist anymore. And I think the world is worse off for it. You said the world is worse off. Yeah. I mean, like this is the type of like guy portrayed in this movie, like a guy who's like grew up like in the sixties, like was like too young to really like participate in the youth culture there, but like has these like set, like these sets of like cultural affinities, but is like, he knows he's mad at like insurance companies. He's no, he knows he's mad at like the CIA, but he has no way of like expressing that. But his only, and he's like, probably he's been a lawyer for like 40 years. And he's like, if someone just like, if someone just was in the Senate and said, this was all bullshit, it would end. <laughs> like it's so like so, that's what yeah are you just talking about your dad specifically <laughs> i think you're just talking about your dad no, your dad no. is bullworth is my, that what's happening here my dad you're admitting that no is but this based on a true story there are there are guys like my dad like quentin tarantino like oliver stone yeah you know what i'm talking about like uh, wait guys like bullworth and quentin tarantino you mean the one who want to say the n-word but have to make a movie to get away with it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah not my yeah. not my dad, but like, kind of, yeah. Well, no, I actually I have a dad connection with this movie as well because the last time I'd, I I saw this movie was in the theaters with my dad, and I can report that he loved this movie more than like pretty much any other movie that had come out that year. There or you since. go. There you go. Why did you like it so much? I mean, he he just he thought it was brilliant. I I think I think it, it, there there's a little Bullworth in in dads everywhere uh, across America. I guess one hundred percent. But I mean, the, the question is like this movie's been it's a movie about a, a senator who goes insane and starts rapping and becomes sort of a, a gangster rapper. Um, and like you know th that that concept for a movie is uh. It's an odd one and one that like certainly in retrospect seems deeply uh, embarrassing and kind of like a disaster, a relic of the 90s. Uh, the movie is not not that, but I will make I will I will make the case that it is also an underrated masterpiece. And the thing is, Warren Beatty as a director is not to be fucked around with. I mean, the guy no. Reds, Dick Tracy. I mean, like the guy is an artist. He's not just an actor who like uh, turned into directing. The guy, the guy is an artist, and uh, this movie, uh, honestly, I not only does it, I, I don't, I don't know if it like you're, Felix is right. It's 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 a time capsule that like it it, it doesn't fit with today's uh, uh, sort of contemporary culture very well, but um, I think it like it it holds up even better like twenty thirty years after the movie came out than like even five or ten years after it. How do you think critics would take a movie that like that that was to come out right now? <laughs> It would get panned. It, it's too. It's too yeah, problematic. No. It's too crazy. Yeah, like, yeah they too. They sensitive now. I mean, yeah. it, it, I understand. Though. I mean, I do, but it didn't. Didn't it didn't really bother me because I, I see where it was going. Like, dude was tired of that shit. Really, really, tired of lying. You know what I mean? Like, fuck this shit. I'm about to hang out, and I'm about to. You know what I mean? I don't know. It was pretty dope. It's like a yeah. hidden message. I gotta rewatch it again to get the to get more messages out of it, or like I gotta let like let it sit on me a little bit. That is that is the cool thing about it too. Is like its politics are like pretty ahead of its time. Like it's it's all about like health insurance companies and like defense contracting. The scene where he goes to like the Israeli lobbyists, <laughs> he's like like that shit. That was like actually there are tons of like actually like purposely hilarious scenes like just individual like gags like do you remember when his advisor is like doing coke and the other guy's like trying to bring <laughs> yeah, over yeah, to yeah, the spoon yeah, yeah. <laughs> the man yeah, yeah. nose was itching like a motherfucker for the blow I <laughs> yeah 
right. I said, why don't you give this poor man a goddamn key bump, you fucking high strong <laughs> fucking dude. That was, was so funny, bro. I think that's when I, I, I texted you and was like, yo, this is too funny, though. That was, no, that's like a legitimately hilarious scene. And like, you saw it before, I'm sure, in real life. I mean, I've been there, done that before several times. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's always, there's always the guy who's ripping like 10 key bumps in a row. And it's like, why don't you just like do a line? And then there's just the guy trying to like, he's like a fucking meerkat, just like fucking poking his (laughs) neck out. (laughs) Put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game, coach. (laughs) Um, now, uh, as far as like the, the dated aspects of this movie, I would say like the the two main currents of this movie are kind of artifacts of the '90s. And the first the first big part of the movie is in the '90s. Uh, there was nothing funnier than the idea of an otherwise square white man doing raps, and like this movie plays that to the hilt. It was like people people could not conceive of such a thing. It was so. Uh, so discordant and funny that that was like that was a, a prime era of like '90s comedy. It was like, hey, what if a dorky white guy just started spitting raps? And then the second sort of dated uh, element of the movie is, as Felix alluded to earlier, the idea that if someone were just able to tell the damn truth on television, it would make a difference. Like the, those those two currents uh, are weaved together to make the political satire that is uh, Bullworth, but. Uh, Gangsta Boo, I agree with you. Uh, Warren Beatty in this movie is really hilarious. Like, he's an excellent comic actor. His timing is impeccable. And he has all these really funny, like, act outs and, and, and line reads that I think just, uh, it, it, it works great. I, I, thought, I thought Beatty was fantastic in this movie. Me too. And I felt sorry for him. He made me actually feel sorry for his character. Like, he went through some shit, but he, he it, was, it was pretty, he, just, he went through some shit. And it was all over those damn politics. <laughs> <laughs> he like like it like this movie even when I watched it in like 2004 I was like there are a few things this movie does like incredibly and one is like I watched it with my my friend Spencer and Angie and Spencer's like a big like film guy and he was explaining that the guy who did the lighting for this is like one of those Italian guys who's great at it you know one of those <laughs> things that film people know yeah. one of those Italian guys who's like great at light bulbs but it's like there's so many like interesting scenes where it's like they're bathed in like this horrifying green light and it's like Suspiria or something. It's beautiful. The movie was but, also, like, but the, the, like the other thing is even when it, like the first time I watched it, it was like, they do such a great job of like both Beatty's portrayal and how it's directed, how Beatty directed it of like making you feel like you've also been up for 48 hours and you're like having a mental break. Like they really like, they really like make him go through the ringer in a way that like, actually feels kind of true to how that would go oh oh god straight up i promise you i've been there done that <laughs> when you up you up and then you're delirious you're delusional but then you think you have these great ideas you change clothes you become somebody you're not then you fucking crash <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's i was just gonna say the uh the other interesting thing about the uh the making of this movie is that uh it was all filmed on steadicam which gives it this very propulsive energy and like, like Bullworth is constantly moving and wherever he goes is just like this, this scrum of people and activity as he's just being constantly harangued and shuffled from one engagement to the other. And the way they film it, I think that it does a really good job of portraying that. I agree. I agree. I agree on that. What the fuck do you, so why did that dude conceive? Why? So why did that man kill him? It was the old man, right? We'll we'll, we'll 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 get to the the who what why of the Bullworth assassination. Okay. Where where, where were you, where were you when you found out Bullworth was assassinated? Where you've learned that Bullworth <laughs> was assassinated? But let's just let's just dive into the movie here. So uh, it it opens with a a Star Wars like title card. You know, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away of mid March 1996. It reads. The time of the California primaries. Robert Dole has secured the Republican presidential nomination. President Clinton runs unopposed by other Democrats. The populace is unaroused. And so it, is, so it was with little fanfare or attention that incumbent Democratic Senator Jay Billington Bullworth prepares to embark upon the final weekend of his primary campaign to return to the United States Senate for another term. Now, Warren Beatty's a guy who's been involved in uh, Democratic Party politics for a while and as you know, as far as Hollywood goes. And I think he has a very accurate sense of who exactly like the type of Democratic senator of that era is and who like the the, 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 uh, sort of Democratic Leadership Council, like post Clinton era politics of Bullworth is is all 
uh, is, is all established in this opening scene where he's alone in his Washington, D.C. office, uh, crying, drunk, and p- contemplating suicide as he watches a loop over and over again of his latest campaign commercial in which he uh, says, I believe in a hand up, not a hand out. I will fight un- and abolish unnecessary affirmative action programs, and our welfare system is out of control. I believe in old-fashioned values. And he's watching this amid his office, which is filled with the uh, regalia and, and memorabilia of a, pa- of a sort of liberal radical past. There's photos of RFK, Jr., RFK, Thurgood Marshall, and I believe there's one frame photo in his office of Warren Beatty uh, or Bullworth with uh, Angela Davis. So he's sort of haunted by the, his sort of his, his crusading past as he completely sells out and becomes like a fucking uh, like neoconservative Democrat, essentially. Not only uh, did he know those guys, he very easily could have been one because when he was a young man, uh, Warren Beatty was very interested in politics and he also liked acting. And he has said that he considered being a politician as his goal instead of being an actor. And he basically just decided on Hollywood probably because he was too good looking for Washington, (laughs) DC. And so then he, he did spend his whole, he spent his whole life like intimately associated with democratic politics. He was like one of the top advisors to the McGovern campaign in 1972. Wow. Like he was always been way up there. I I feel like one of the keys to this movie and like the keys one of the keys to why like Beatty does such a good job is I feel like the <clears throat> point of view of this movie is like, it's not like saying like Bullworth's cool because he raps. It's like self-evidently ridiculous. I feel like Beatty himself, like probably for like a month after this movie was like rapping around his house and his kids were like, you, you like stop it. <laughs> like, but like he, he's like, he's able to portray that so well because it's like Beatty's literally too good looking and has had a lifetime of encouragement. He's lived in the bubble from 30 Rock. And mm-hmm. he's like, no one's going to tell a guy with that square of a jaw like that he doesn't look cool in the outfit that he wears. <laughs> yeah. we can, when, when, when he gets into his hip-hop attire uh, towards the end of this movie, we can talk about He looked like a fucking South Park character <laughs> when they put him in a beanie yeah, yeah. and sunglasses. And the funny but, part is I had dozed off. When he was uh, had his suit on, then I woke up. He was dressed like that. I was like, "Oh shit! I gotta rewind this and see how we get." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we have we have Senator Bullworth. He is uh, he's he's up for reelection. He's uh, we learned that he's down in the polls, and as such, he has to raise a shitload of money from these rotten insurance companies. And the uh, uh, insurance lobbyist who's courting him is played by uh, Paul Sorvino. That's another thing about this movie is it has a wonderful cast. Uh, yeah. on, on in his staff, um, on, like in his uh, Washington office, are uh, Oliver Platt, who plays his sort of like uh, his right hand man and kind of a uh, his uh, body man, and then uh, Jack Warden in one of his last film roles ever is another one of uh, uh, Senator Bullworth's advisors. Jack Warden was like a longtime Warren Beatty friend and co star, um, but you but you see him, he's like uh, he's into the dirty business of politics, which means that he just has to sell out. Uh, everything he once believed in to get a shitload of money from um, insurance companies to uh, win the election. Um, and in, in this in this meeting with uh, Paul Servino, who's talking with a Southern accent, he um, arranges um, in exchange for voting against an insurance regulation bill to be given a $10 million life insurance policy. And Paul Servino is, uh, you know, getting into the, like the racial politics of this movie is introduced, like I said, speaking in a Southern accent. And he says, I have no problem with African-Americans, Colin Powell, Michael Jordan, people with jobs. I like these people, <laughs> but don't make me give, <laughs> don't, don't, don't make me give insurance to someone who's going to burn down their house. Yeah. Burn down the house, um, fucking rap, sing rap music. And he said, all kind of shit. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> So yeah, the, the, like it's establishing early on that like the, these are the type of people that the modern Democratic Party is completely beholden to, and uh, again, way ahead of its time. He's absolutely right about right, that. Right, right. Yeah, this was like this movie came out in '98, right? And yeah, it's like sort of on the heels of like like golden era Clintonism, welfare reform, the prison bill earlier on, just like. If you watch a clip from like a any Clinton State of the Union, it sounds like a Trump speech from three years ago when he talks about like border security or like welfare reform or anything like that. It's like this is just 
this is just any conservative. Wow. Um, and actually, another interesting thing as it relates to Bill Clinton in this movie, it's like Bill Clinton's like uh, rise to the presidency. Uh, one of the bricks paving that road was, of course, the famous sister soldier moment in which he, uh, you know, sort of scolded and cut back uh, the, the uh, a fellow rapper, Sister Soldier, who pressed him hard on a question. And this movie is almost like Warren Beatty's uh, attempt to rescue the Democratic Party via an anti-Sister Soldier moment where a Democratic senator just becomes a rapper instead of uh, shaking his, wagging his finger at them for asking for too much of the Democratic Party. What did she, what, uh, what happened with them too? I, I, I don't know if I recall, unfortunately, was the Soldier and Clinton yeah, it was Sister Soldier was at an event and she asked a question of Bill Clinton that that was sort of a critical question. She like she kind of drilled him. I and I forget what issue, but his response his response to her was basically not to give an inch and say like you know you're totally wrong. It was and it was like you had a a rap singer here last night named Sister Soldier. I defend her right to express herself through music. But her comments before and after Los Angeles were filled with a kind of Hatred that you do not honor today and tonight. Sister Soldier moment has become a kind of shorthand for an opportunity for a Democratic politician to demonstrate their conservative bona fides and, and show a, a, I don't know, a, a willingness to break with the base of the Democratic Party, i.e., you know, black people or, you know, liberal activists. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I'm going to have to research that one too. Now I'm interested. So anyway, uh, so, so yeah, Warren Beatty uh, as Senator Bullworth is, <laughs> he's, he's been up for a week straight crying and is suicidal. So he, so, so he, 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 he has this plan through his corruption with the insurance industry, like I said, to take out this $10 million life insurance policy, the beneficiary of which is entirely his daughter. Um, and then immediately through this kind of sleazy go-between, hires a hitman to kill him by the end of the weekend. So he's essentially trying to commit suicide by proxy to get this huge payoff for his daughter because he doesn't want to live anymore <laughs> as a senator. Um, so like it's the last weekend before the election and he has to go out to, to Los Angeles to campaign for the weekend. But he's hoping to be dead by Monday. And like that, that's really the setup to the movie. I also got to uh, shout out um, Christine Baranski is Bulwer's wife. And I feel like that lady has been playing first ladies and political wives for like most of her career. But man, oh man, is she good at it. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. She was like, "All right, dude, let's get this shit over with, please. Thank you. Bye." <laughs> yeah, she's she's like, she's a kind of political wife that only shows up for like photo ops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was crazy too. Christina Brzezinski like she has the best like <laughs> Baranski. <Brzezinski>. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> there are like three Polish names. You switch them all around, but like what's what's her name? Christine, Christina Baranski. She like uh. She's the Mika Brzezinski. Yeah, Mika Brzezinski. She's like, yeah, she's the best at like being shocked and appalled at her husband in a movie. That was like, that's like the, that's like her like Buster Keaton pratfall is like her husband does something bad and she's like, like make, makes a, like just sort of like purses her lips in an upset way. That's like the entire reason she's in the movie is to be at the scene where Bullworth raps at that gala. Yeah. Um, but hold on. So, okay. But then, did, so who, that, that man, right, that was hired to take those pictures of him, I guess, trying to get him to cheat, catch some cheating or something. Was that what that was? Uh, no, like we, we find out that, uh, yeah, like the, 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 the guy who he thinks is the assassin um, is actually a paparazzi who's been trying to catch him out, I guess, is having an affair or, or just, you know, like just, just, do, just doing anything. Yeah, I was like, yo, that shit is funny. I like the way they wrote it. It's, they, it's a pretty good film. I didn't even know Don Cheadle was in there. I love him. Oh, yeah. Don Cheadle shows up. Uh, it's, we'll, we'll get to the cast. But uh, so like so so Bullworth. Uh, okay, it's a process. Bull okay. <laughs> Bull <laughs> Bullworth. So he, he flies out to, to Los Angeles, I uh, think, hoping to be dead by Monday. And he has about six scotches on the airplane and he lands in LAX and immediately like all his all his like uh, his comms and his staff and press people are there. And immediately in the airport, he just thinks everybody is about to push his button. Like he starts running out of the airport because he hears like, you know, a little pop in the background. So he's, he's hoping to die, but is very paranoid about the prospect. Um, so what's his first stop in L.A. on the on the uh, the campaign trail? It's the, the classic Democratic politician photo op at a black church. So 
he shows up there and he's being trailed by C-SPAN cameras the whole time. And then you got uh, Wendell Pierce uh, is one of the TV producers, along with Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne. Like I said, every role in this movie is stacked. So he's being trailed by C-SPAN and he's going to a church and like play to the base in the black community in South Central. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Halle Berry is in the audience for this speech. And he gets up there and starts going into his boilerplate pablum where he keeps saying, we stand at the doorstep of a new millennium. And then because he is basically disassociated it from himself at this point, um, he <laughs> goes straight to Q&As. And uh, the first question he gets is sort of an angry question about, uh, you know, what, what happened to all the, the promise of federal funds to rebuild the community uh, after the riot? And he says, well, uh, basically, you haven't contributed to my campaign, so <laughs> I'm not going to do anything for you. He's like, you know... Got any idea how much these insurance companies come up with? They pretty much depend on me to get a bill like that and bottle it up in my committee during an election. And in that way, we can kill it when you're not looking. He says, we all came down here because it was a big news story, but we just told you what you wanted to hear and forgot about it. And this is like, this is the beginning of Bullworth going off script and uh, spitting too many real facts uh, for politics. Too fucking many real facts. <laughs> uh, so he, he's spitting so much truth that uh, his his uh, his right hand man, Oliver Platt, pulls the fire alarm to get everyone out of the church to get him to stop talking. Let's see. Oh, and then we get a cameo by uh, another interesting cameo in this movie. A small role of uh, the the poet and playwright Amiri Baraka plays is sort of like inhabits the kind of Greek chorus role for this movie as a homeless man who keeps perpetually showing up to. Uh, I don't know. Do we do what to Bullworth? He uh, he said he keeps shouting at him. Uh, you can't be no ghost. You got to be a spirit. And he's sort of like the the voice of Bullworth's like disassociated inner consciousness. And uh, it's funny that uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Amiri Baraka, but he was the guy who was the uh, former poet laureate of New Jersey who was uh, removed from that post following 9-11 when people discovered a poem he wrote that talked about um, Israelis dancing in the streets after 9-11. He didn't lie. <laughs> Google dancing Israelis. Just saying. I mean, okay, they found Israelis on a rooftop. I don't know if they were dancing, but this is, no, not totally made up. People have said worse. So, uh, uh, so Bullworth, he's, he's disassociating, but the one thing that he, uh, he, he keys directly in on, of course, is Halle Berry. And the moment he sees Halle Berry, he is super sprung for her. And she begins to sort of uh, show up at more and more of the places that he's, he's uh, all, the, all the events that he's attending. And uh, he is just completely uh, taken with her. And it's it sort of like she, it, his, his horniness for Halle Berry is sort of the, the instigating incident that gets him into doing rap music. Um, I should say the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the second event after the, uh, it's, it's really funny, like the, uh, the, the two big events he has to do as the Democratic senator from California is a photo op in a uh, church in South Central. And then he goes to Beverly Hills for a fundraiser with the mostly, <laughs> mostly Jewish members of the entertainment industry. And man, I got to say, Warren Beatty really goes for the throat here uh, yeah. with, with how, how much he makes fun of these people in this movie. Because I mean, like, he immediately, again, begin, totally pisses off everyone in the room, uh, doesn't kiss their ass at all, and says mainly, well, he's like, the problem with Hollywood is that you make bad movies. So, like, I don't care about the government censoring it unless you make better movies. And then he says, my guys aren't stupid. They always put the big Jews on my list. And then he goes, he's, he's looking at his, uh, his notes and he goes, oh, he's like, what, what's the problem? They, I know my guys have put something there about Farrakhan for you. <laughs> yeah. And then how you say Farrakhan's name? Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was all over the place and then <laughs> Oliver Platt later goes uh, when he's like freaking out on cocaine and yelling at Bullworth he goes you mocked their Jewish paranoia you can't do that <laughs> yeah no the Farrakhan the Farrakhan scene or the the Hollywood scene is great because no you could make that today still the same thing people are still bitching about Farrakhan all the time yeah so uh, so it's like he, he meets up with uh, like so Hallie and her friends are, are like they're working as valets there or like they just they keep showing up around around Senator Bullworth. And then, of course, he, he's like, hey, do you need a ride in the limo? So they all pile into the limo and they go to the club. And like th this scene, like this, this begins his his uh, his uh, sort of conversion process into becoming an MC. So he, he goes to he goes to the club and immediately just starts like he smokes a blunt. He starts feeling the beat and then he just starts rapping. Because 
<laughs> a mix of be- uh, drugs and being out of his mind. Uh, there's a very funny scene where the uh, the bartender at the club they go to in South Central uh, thinks he's Clint Eastwood. And then like her husband or whatever, he goes, oh, no, that's not Clint Eastwood. That's George Hamilton. George, thanks for coming out tonight. And then later in the movie, there's a cameo with the real George Hamilton. Where, as he's going into a TV event, uh, Bullworth takes a moment to shake his hand. So I thought that was funny. That was funny, dude. There, there's uh, so much. Uh, another part was really funny too, though, when fucking the club closed pretty much and he was their DJ. Yeah, no, it takes him one night. He smokes one blunt. He dances with Halle Berry, and then by the morning, he knows how to DJ, and he's like cutting up records so that you just hear uh, dick, dick, pussy, 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 suck my <laughs> dick, dick, pussy, pussy. <laughs> Yo, I said this shit. It's like, I gotta get stoned and like watch that. It's like a what moment. It was dope. That was crazy. Uh, th- th- we're introduced to uh, Don Cheadle's character, who's sort of a, a local kingpin, and uh, Halle Berry's brother, played by Isaiah Washington, uh, owes him money and uh, him and Halle Berry have some, you know, uh, business or uh, some, some connection between each other. I think she's working for him or has worked for him in the past. And, you know, she's sort of she's out there to protect her brother from the uh, the, the wrath of owing money to this um, uh, sort of local local crime figure. Um, and like basically the whole club scene is like that's when you get to hear the ghetto superstar, the big single from the movie. And it basically allows them to play snippets of about five different songs from the soundtrack just in that 10 minute period. Another interesting fact about this movie is that the great uh, Ennio Morricone did the original score for it and not the rap music, obviously. But by the time the movie was released, it was cut down to only about five minutes of screen time. And apparently he was really pissed about that. He was really angry at Warren Beatty for butchering the original score he wrote for Bullworth. That but that was in I like I saw Ennio Morricone's name in the opening credits. And I, I was like, I don't remember anything he did in this movie. But yeah, no, no one could escape the wrath of uh, Warren Beatty's knife. What was the what was did they do another single up their movie? I need to listen to the soundtrack to see what other songs was on the soundtrack. It was a big soundtrack, but all I can remember from it was just the just the big single "Ghetto Superstar." And the other the other uh, thing associated with that song was the famous incident at the uh, the MTV uh, VMAs in which uh, Praz saved old dirty bastard from being like blown up by pyrotechnics because he was standing right in front of this thing that was going to launch fireworks on stage or some sort of big like a... Uh... So that was Praz saved him? That wasn't Praz? Yeah, that was, was... No, no, no. It was, ODB was standing in an area where he wasn't... Sp- it was like very dangerous and he grabbed the collar of his shirt and pulled him back at the last second before these pyrotechnics went off that would have probably uh, very badly burned him. Good old day. Yeah. It's like, they, they play uh, they play insane in the membrane for a while. They play that at some point. I remember. I recognize that one. Uh, they go a hundred miles and running. I think it's from the second NWA album is on this. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. No, isn't no Vaseline like briefly in the movie? I think it's, like, uh, there's a the, brief clip. It's, of it's, it. it's not no Vaseline. It's another Ice Cube song. I don't uh, know which one. Um, the club scene is. I like the club scene because it's like one of the many like. There's a lot of this movie that's like very self-aware than a lot that isn't. And it's just like, yeah, anything made like 20 years ago, just like is there's going to be some gaps. But like when he goes to the club, there's so much weird shit. Like he shows up there, he's there for three seconds and the guy immediately gives him a blunt. Like instantly, <laughs> like it's like a 60 year old man going there and he just instantly passes him an entire blunt. To, like, yeah, that would not happen at all unless that black dude was an undercover cop his damn self. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing is like when the the like the bartender thinks he's uh Clint Eastwood he's like I don't know if people notice this but he's just like he just has like a plate he just has like a plate with like like string beans and like brisket on it and it's like wait what the fuck <laughs> like there's no there's no like kitchen in this bar no I didn't know that that's funny See shit like I mean, that. They make that movie for people that smoke weed too. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is definitely a weed smoking movie. And like, as Felix said, it, there's sort of a there's a dad fantasy in this movie of like yeah. every kind of like 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 old white guy wants to be like a, a brash you know a gangster rapper. But also, I mean, it's like the the modern uh, sort of fantasy is that everyone wants everyone wants to get invited to the cookout. And everyone wants the N-word pass. But if you get one, you'll be assassinated right before you're able to ex- ever exercise that right. By the insurance companies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, 
So 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 Bullworth has been she he's been up all night at the club like you know freaking with Halle Berry learning how to freestyle and then like he's been just doing drugs all night he looks like shit he's been wearing the same suit for like ten days straight and then like of course like the the next day they have to they have to hustle him over to another big fundraising breakfast at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel and like this is the scene where he really he debuts his the Bullworth bars. And he gets up there to do another one of his, his, his canned speeches. He says, we're at the doorstep of a new millennium. And then he just starts muttering to himself and then just starts rhyming. And then from there, he just he, he spits a whole freestyle about big money in politics and uh, the need for single payer and how much pussy you get as a senator. <laughs> 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 so I've actually transcribed uh, the lyrics to the, uh, Big Money from uh, Senator Jay Bullworth. And I figure we could just go through it here and do some like rap genius stuff on, the, on these bars, these Warren Beatty lyrics here. So uh, uh, his freestyle begins, uh, one man, one vote. Now, is that really real? The name of our game is Let's Make a Deal. Now, people have their problems, the haves and have nots, but the ones who make me listen pay for 30 second spots. Ooh! This is <laughs> Yeah, the rhythm of this is like very like Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a Matt Christman like, style of rap. Yeah, it's like it's it, when rap was good. Yes, <laughs> it's Matt Christman. Yeah, it's like it's like someone put Matt at gunpoint and was like, you have to like make a Curtis Blow song. <laughs> I, I, I just give them credit for it. No point. It does. He say, my name's Bullworth and I'm here to say. <laughs> that was probably I was waiting for that one. Now, is that really real? The name of our game is let's make a deal. Now, people got their problems. The has and the have not. But the ones that make me listen pay for 30 second spots. 30 seconds. Yeah. 30, 30 seconds. Uh, and then, okay, then, then he starts. Uh, it, it, it goes further into this diss track, and like this is a room full of people who have paid like you know fifty grand a plate to to listen to the fucking speech from a senator, and then he goes, uh, "Yo, Bank of America, this table over here, Wells Fargo, Citibank, you're really very dear. Loan billions to Mexico and never have to fear because the taxpayers, taxpayers, take it in the rear." And at this point, like there's steam coming out of the ears of all of these like sort of like all these lobbyists and fuddy duddies at the Beverly Wilshire uh, going on. He goes, "Over here, we got our friends from oil. They don't give a shit how much wilderness is spoiled." They, uh, they tell that they're careful, but we know that's a lie. As long as we're driving cars, they'll let the planet die. Exxon, Mobil, the Saudis and Kuwait. If we, still get the Middle East, if we still got the Middle East, the atmosphere can wait. The Arabs got the oil. We buy everything they sell. But if the brothers raise the price, we blow them all to hell. Now say it. Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, we should Google who wrote that. Like, I yeah, who's who's, who's his ghostwriter? They would feel like I, he is credited as one of the screenwriters, so it might very well meant, have meant Bainey himself. I don't know. I mean, about, I like to think that was the case. Uh, I famously, think he wrote it. I think he wrote it. Like, yeah. if you did this movie, you like can't really do this movie now. Like, this movie is so lucky that it like they filmed it before like Eminem was really like a national level star. I, I, that's I would a very have, big part of this. But but also like if they if they did somehow do this movie now, like they would hire a guy to write the music for sure. But like this is because this is like ninety eight. It's like more invaded. Like, no, yeah, I can write this. I'm gonna write some bars. I mean, I, mean, I think it's like if they, they got a real ghostwriter to do it, it wouldn't work as well as it does in the movie. Because like the point is that his rhymes do suck. Like he's terrible at rapping. And I think a lot of people like uh, uh, think this movie is bad or think it's embarrassing in retrospect because they think like Felix, like you said, the point of the movie is that Bullworth is cool and that his rhyming is still is like cool and interesting. And like no, like the point is that he's he's gone fucking insane. And like, this is exactly how like a 60 plus year old white guy would rap if he tried it for the first time. Although famously, <laughs> although famously, uh, I believe Jay Z ghost wrote for bugs bunny in the original space jam movie. So I don't know, maybe, uh, the, uh, the last line is uh, last verse here. He goes, yo, everybody going to get sick someday, but nobody know how they're going to pay healthcare, managed care, HMOs ain't going to work. No, sir. Not those. Because the thing that's the same in every one of those is these motherfuckers over here, the insurance companies. And then he goes, uh, you can call it single payer or the Canadian way, but only socialized medicine is ever going to save the day. I mean, it's, it's sort of through music that we can confront truth, right? Yeah, that's like, that is the thesis of this movie. Sort of. 
And then like, okay, so then Oliver Platt uh, fucking like, uh, I don't know, he, he, he contrives some other disaster to like end shortly, you know, to, to get him, to hustle him out of the room. And then he's, he's thronged by the media. And I thought probably the funniest scene in the movie is uh, like the press is asking him like as he's running out of the, the hotel, he's going, they're going, Senator, do you plan to make rap a central part of your campaign? And he just keeps rapping to answer the questions. <laughs> he's like, he's like, will I rap? Uh, well, he's like, that'd be insane. My campaign is crazy in the brain. Yeah. <laughs> So like so this whole so this whole time he's like he he's just trying to fuck Halle Berry and he's just trying to get her up to the hotel room he's just trying to get her up to the hotel room at the Beverly Wilshire which has been as we've seen like sort of surreptitiously rigged with booby traps like poison and a weakened uh, balcony so you would fall off it by his you know unseen assassin who's like this whole time he keeps running from so like he and Halle Berry seems to want to get him up to the hotel room too and like they, like his horniness and like him wanting to get pussy is just uh, it. <laughs> it's it's uh, periodically like uh, uh, the the media, his schedule, and his handlers continually get in the way of him getting laid. Because um, like like I said earlier, everywhere he goes is this like scrum of activity, and he's always being hustled in and out of rooms. And now his staff is beginning to try to cope with what they believe is his you know ongoing mental breakdown. All right, so after after he raps for the first time at the gala. And realizes that he, if he keeps this up, he can probably have sex with Halle Berry. He doesn't want to die anymore, and he immediately yeah. gets worried that that he's like, hey, I need, I need, I need to call off the as he keeps referring to it, the weekend research project because he's discovered it. It just all it took it was just a little bit, just a rap beat, and like I said, the prospect of having sex with Halle Berry, and he wants to live. He does not want to die by Monday. So like at this point, he's gonna, he has to like. Uh, run away from everybody because he doesn't know who's going to kill him or not. And then he, uh, Hall- he absconds with Halle Berry in the limo, and uh, he like they they go they park somewhere. And then he has a, a very a very has a very <laughs> tells her a very condescending anecdote about the time he met Huey Newton, um, uh, assuming that she doesn't know who he is. And then he says, um, "Why are there no more black leaders?" And then Halle Berry proceeds to give him like a Twitter thread answer to the question. Yeah. He was mesmerized. He was really gone at that point. He was smitten. He was beyond smitten after that. Yeah, and they do the. They're setting up like the. You saw this more in like '90s movies, but where like two people are pissed at each other, but it's like a prelude to them fucking each other. But then it's broken up. Oliver Platt's like, "Not on my watch. You're not coming, Bullworth." <laughs> so he's finally able to get through to this like sleazy middleman who uh, ar- arranged the uh, the hit on himself. And he is uh, he is uh, uh, like blissfully relieved that he's able to call it off. He says, "All right, like we we'll just I'll pay the cancellation fee, call off the hit." But then right after he gets off the phone with the guy, the middleman has a heart attack and goes into a coma. <laughs> so yeah. he, he he thinks he has this new lease on life, but like unbeknownst to him, uh, the sort of Damocles still uh, hangs above his head. That's why you shouldn't hire a man, a three hundred pound man on the verge of death to to kill you. I don't yeah. I I don't know if this was like explicitly said in the movie, but like just in the lore bible of Bullworth, that character is from Chicago. That is a Chicago man. <laughs> That's every man in Chicago is that it's guy. John Cass's they, cousin. Yeah, <laughs> you're either there's like two jobs for guys like that in Chicago: being John Cass or like being an assassination middleman who dies at age 52. I was kind of surprised when I um, saw that Hallie was in the middle of it. Yeah, well, I mean, like I was, I I'd totally forgotten the the plot twist about how Halle Berry is actually the assassin or the person hired to at least get him into the because like the whole time you're like. Why does this incredibly hot woman like? I mean, I understand like you know Warren Beatty's a good looking guy, but it would be like if it had just been that like uh, she was a groupie or whatever, it would have been kind of offensive. But no, like the movie actually gives you a realistic reason for why she would be throwing herself at like this 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 senator yeah. character. And it ends up it's yeah it still ends up like definitely being a movie because it's like I mean we'll get to it, but it's like. She ends up like just by him acting more and more insane. She's like, "Yeah, actually, <laughs> I'm like the hottest woman on this side, the hottest woman like in America." And it's like the more fucked up this guy acts, the more I'm like, "Yeah," but like you know, for any listener, we like a fucking roller coaster ride. 
No, I, okay, that's like what the and listeners need to hear. white man who can rap. Us black women, we love white men who can if you've been a senator for like 30 years and you're just getting into it that's how you do it oh wow are you are you listening chuck schumer (laughs) (laughs) so then it's off to uh like i said this this movie is just him being uh sort of ushered from one event to the other as he loses more and more of his mind and the people around him begin to realize it so then it's off to the debate against his primary opponent and uh this is like, oh, it's going to be televised. God, what what truth is he going to spit now? Oh my God! What? And the answer is more truth about money and politics and the need for uh, single payer healthcare. But there's a, a very funny part where he's uh, he's talking to his opponent on stage as he's like drinking out of a flask on national TV, and he goes. If you win this thing, you should really think about sending your kids to Sidwell Friends, which is really funny because that's where the Obama kids went famously. Now. Uh, Oliver Platt, this is the scene where he starts like doing bumps of coke because he's like so out of his mind uh, and stressed out over what his boss is doing. And then there's a very funny cameo by Larry King where uh, <laughs> Larry King tells Oliver Platt, like, we got to get your guy on TV. This is incredible stuff that he's doing. And then he's originally Oliver Platt is like, no, 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 just anything other than could you please just not do a segment on, 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 on Senator Bullworth? And Larry King goes, are you crazy? I got to. Nobody's seen a politician like this. People are tired of all the baloney. This is dynamite stuff. And then immediately in his like coked up state, Oliver Platt feels the direction of the wind shift and immediately begins leaning all the way in to Bullworth being like the, the rapping senator. For, prob- <laughs> for probably like a year after this movie, when Larry King was like at the office, he was like, when is Bullworth coming in? <laughs> Hello, Cleveland. Next up, we'll be talking to the rapping senator. (laughs) He's just like, he's like waiting. He's like, I guess he forgot. Well, that's great. I was looking forward to that interview. So once again, he is, uh, Oliver Platt conspires, like he yanks the, like the power out of the the TV and he's, he's blackened out. He's, he's cut off. He has to leave the debate and, uh, he goes to meet Halle Berry's parents and, uh, in South Central. And, uh, he goes to hang out with her family and he changes out of his dirty suit into the, the classic, uh, the, the Bullworth hip hop style outfit, which is uh, sort of a, a ski hat, sunglasses, a hoodie. Like I said, he looks like, uh, he looks like, you know, it's Cartman on South Park basically. Yeah. And there's, after he like changes, there's, I'm sure you're going to get to it, but it is like, it's very revelatory about like, what, like the Warren Beatty, I guess, because it's like, this movie is like very ahead of its time in some ways, but then it's also like the like idea that it's like I if I walked out the door in South Central, I would immediately be attacked by like gun wielding children, but I would be able to like win them over. But that is definitely yeah. going to happen to me. <laughs> like this, it's yeah, because like a conservative imagines being attacked by black kids in the ghetto and shooting them, and he's like, I'm going to buy him ice cream, and they're going to think I'm cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, after after he after he's strolling around looking like I mean, it's funny. It's also dated in terms of like what people think like a like a like a cool like hip hop outfit is because he just looks basically like a skater. He looks like a suburban yeah. mall kid, really. And then he looks like a girl in Bushwick now. <laughs> yeah. yeah and he's immediately accosted by like a gang of nine year olds selling crack. Yeah. And then, of course, he he wins them over by buying them ice cream and then helping them out of a jam with the cops. Where like he walks away and then immediately like the LAPD pulls up and starts hassling these kids and like fucking with them. And then Bullworth comes over and basically <laughs> he gets away with assaulting a police officer because they realize he's a senator. And he makes yeah. the cops apologize to these like 10 uh, year olds that they just fucked with. I'm sorry. Say no problem, officer. Oh, fuck your mom, you fucking pig cocksucker. That's good enough. Take off. Take off. Huh? <laughs> yeah. The entire like Bullworth in South Central thing is like, like maybe kind of like that's where like the you sort of see the stitching in this movie because like there's tons of like weird shit where it's like assuredly written by Warren Beatty. Like when he goes to her house to uh, Holly Berry's house and like her younger brother, they call him like he they named him after Marcus Garvey, but they're like Marcus Garvey, like give him clothes like that, like they would refer to him by his first and middle name. Just to like get in that thing that Warren Beatty knows who Marcus Garvey is. 
and, well, it's also established that Halle Berry's family has like this like radical history. She mentions that her mom was a Panther and she like, of course, she knows who Huey Newton was. He like, you know, ran a breakfast program on the block she grew up on or whatever. So, yeah, like they're, they're establishing like a, a sort of a, a political consciousness for Halle Berry's character that informs uh, Bullworth's like, you know, political awakening. She was hot. <laughs> He, uh, he then uh, Don Cheadle picks him up after he helps the uh, the kids and all the kids work for Don Cheadle and they, they go back to Don Cheadle's place and then uh, Cheadle spits like uh, you know he spits him his line about like his sort of like self empowered line of bullshit about how like he's helping these kids out with opportunity because you know like you can't get a job and the school sucks so like obviously I'm going to use them to sell drugs because you know they'll 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 take less of a charge as minors than as adults and then. Uh, Bullworth, uh, like, sort of takes all this in and then steals his car to head to a TV special, the Larry King-style TV special. So now he's got uh, an assassin out to get him, and then he's got Don Cheadle out to kill him, too, because he stole his car. He uh, has a one-on-one interview, and then we see his coffee cup is poisoned before he, uh, before, before he uh, sits down. So he's, like, uh, constantly about to take a sip from it, and it's a little moment of uh, tension there. And again... He gets on TV and uh, just start spits more game, more truth that's uh, too hot to handle. Basically, what he talks about is the deregulations of the telecommunications industry in the 90s that was like totally on point and very much cutting against the kind of like Clinton Democratic model. Like, I think this whole movie is in a way like Warren Beatty's like apology for all the work he did with the Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like it hits a very early hit on the 96 Telecom Act, which like People remember, like, the big bad things that uh, they did under Clinton. I mean, obviously, like, welfare reform, uh, NAFTA, crime bill, those are the biggest things. But, yeah, the telecom bill was, like, underratedly terrible in 96. Bernie voted against it in the House. So during his TV appearance, he is nearly assassinated again because uh, the the assassin has like loosened the bolts on like the catwalk right above the right above the uh, the television set, and it falls like almost killing him. And after he nearly dies on TV, the the, the interviewer just goes, uh, <laughs> "We'll be back after the break with Senator Lamar Alexander." <laughs> <laughs> Um, at this point, uh, like this is like it all comes to a head because the guy who we think throughout the whole movie has, is the assassin, you find out is just a paparazzi, and then Halle Berry reveals herself that like, look, the middleman that you paid to hire an assassin to kill you was too cheap to actually hire a third party, so he was just going to kill you himself and pocket the extra money, and he hired me to originally get you to the hotel room where you would be poisoned or fall off a balcony. But since I couldn't manage that, he's now, you know, I have the I have the task now of actually like killing you. And she has a gun and everything. But she's been she yes, it becomes a movie because she is she can't go through with it because she likes Bullworth too much and understands that his message is too important to be snuffed out. And at that point, he confesses everything to her and collapses into her arms. Uh, sleeping for the first time in a week. He's sort of like his soul is finally unburdened and he goes back to her house with her family and sleeps through the entire election, which he ends up winning because of his antics and his rapping. Um, so he wakes up and he's like, he's been, he wakes up and he's back in the suit and it's like his whole disassociated personality has gone away. But then it's still this question of like, but he still really likes Halle Berry and there's still some chemistry there. So what's going to happen now that he's gone back to being a normal like a normal white guy, Democratic senator. And, you know, they, they have a little moment together. And the famous, you know, <laughs> I guess by today's standards, incredibly controversial moment at the end of this moment where Halle Berry says to Warren Beatty, you know, you my... You know, you my... Fill, fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah. That was like... Uh, that. That's why this is the... De- like, that's like... That's what Will's dad was imagining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is... That's, that is uh, Nirvana. For a certain type of white liberal uh, older older dude, yeah, that that's that's reaching the the top of the mountain. That like is to be is to be called called that. If they if someone said that to you and then you died, that's yeah. like the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that is the best thing that ever happens to Senator Jay Bullworth because right after his uh, his kiss with Halle Berry and them them coming together and he's it's like you know you think maybe like oh by the way there's also a brief scene where we find out that his wife. 
Christine Baranski has been fucking William Baldwin behind his back the whole time. (laughs) William Baldwin has, I think, an uncredited cameo as himself, and they're in bed together watching the results of the election. So uh, Bullworth is not the only uh, member of this political uh, arranged marriage who is uh, stepping out. I think it's a they, they have an understanding between each other. But so him and Halle Berry get to have this nice moment. Uh, you think they're going to get together. But then right as he's about to get in the limo, we see like it's implied we see Paul Sorvino lurking in the shadows on top of a building right before he gets in the limo. Clap. He gets he gets actually assassinated by the insurance industry at the end of this movie. And uh, that's how it ends. Yeah, and it's fucked up because we were hearing gunshots. He was being paranoid because he thought he was hearing gunshots. Remember? Like, yeah, it was like he thought it was like a car backfiring or like a fireworks going off. And yeah, there are probably like five or six scenes uh, throughout the movie of him like thinking he's about to die, and like sort of like do, playing the game of chicken over whether he does or doesn't. And yeah, no, the actual like the actual assassination scene at the end. I like how they do it where you don't really after like Don Cheadle points up at the rooftop to the sniper, you just don't see anything. It's just done and like the, the pointing at the rooftop i think like that's probably also a conscious reference to the famous photo taken right after martin luther king was assassinated at the uh at the at the motel yeah and i think it's it's just interesting that like uh jay bulworth this like awful centrist democratic politician gets to have this like martyrdom moment at the end like he's malcolm x or something just because he went insane for a weekend and i think the movie is very aware of that i don't think the movie is yeah. like saying like the, the movie is saying is like, oh, he's as important as these figures. I think the movie is acknowledging the irony of like this guy didn't set out to like speak all this truth about the American political system. He just literally because of like pills, scotch and a lack of sleep, like lost his personality and then did it by accident. And I think what's funny is that his phony assassination plot we learned was mostly bullshit to begin with. Like this fucking like at, fucking out of shape, like near heart attack victim was never going to knock him off successfully. But then he is actually assassinated because of everything he did. Everything he did as a consequence of believing he was going to die and losing his mind for a weekend. The insurance, <laughs> insurance industry actually kills him to prevent regulation of their rotten industry which I thought was a, a, a very clever ending to this movie. Yeah, it really, really was. And then at the, the very last scene uh, uh, is Amiri Baraka's character comes back and he's outside of the hospital addressing directly like the, the screen, direct, addressing the viewer directly. And he comes back to this line he says over and over again. Where you, uh, he says, you got to be a spirit. You can't be no ghost. And that's sort of the, uh, the, the I don't know. I, like, what, what do you guys make of that line? You can't. You, you got to be a spirit. You can't be no ghost. We need a spirit, Bullworth. What, what do you think is the sort of the import of that that final closing bit of poetry from Amiri Baraka? Well, I have sort of a different take on the whole thing than you will. In that, in the way I see it, he hires uh, the guy to kill him. He says, "Take me out," uh, because yeah, he's reached the end. He's 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 disgusted with himself what he's become, what his party's become, and he doesn't know any other way to, to deal with it. So he hires the guy to kill him, and then he gets shot, and the entire film is him uh, in his death throes, sort of Jacob's Ladder style, ah. building a fantasy whereby he can ascend to heaven, i.e. get, get, get an N-word pass from someone, uh, from, uh, from a hot black lady, speak the truth to power uh, and then become the one, the, 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 the real liberal fantasy, which is not of changing things because they don't have any kind of idea of like an end state of, of, of betterment. You know, they're, they're, they're always just ameliorative. The great uh, sort of ascension of a liberal is to be a martyr. Yeah. Like the very first shot of the movie is, is Martin Luther King and Malcolm X shaking hands. And uh, in the picture that is in his office and he, he, he wants to be that. But because he's gone along with the Democratic Party's, uh, you know, drift into neoconservatism, he, he has no ability. And so the whole movie is him figuring out a way where he's not killing himself. He's being murdered by the insurance industry to stop him from overthrowing, uh, you know, all the evil in the world that he has contributed to with his entire political career and now uh, deeply regrets and then Amiri Baraka coming through uh, over and over again is sort of like, you know, the that the Grim Reaper figure sort of reminding him 
that he is in fact all not just that he might die at any minute, but that he is uh, already dying. Wow, that I think you hit the nail on the head, Matt. That that the Jacob's Ladder interpretation of this movie makes it makes a whole lot more sense. Is that like this? His he has the every like the sort of suburban dad white guy fantasy of becoming a rapper, but because he's also a Democratic senator, he has a fantasy of absolving himself of all the evil he's done in the world and and achieving the level of uh, heroism of his idols like RFK, Martin Luther King, etc. And I think you're right. The idea is that like you want to be martyred to history. You don't want to change history because you know you yeah, can't. Right. And this is, yeah, that's what a, a Democrat's fantasy, everyone thinks I'm good, then I die. So yes. people have to think I'm good forever. <laughs> like, like, yeah, no, that's, that's it. And, yeah, because like the civil rights movement really is the beginning of like the the eruption of the conscience of the American liberal, right? Like that's where all these guys' politics were forged. And so like the, the, the struggle for black equality is like what they have always gauged themselves by. And like the entirety of the, the Clintonite turn is essentially the final and irrevocable betrayal of, of uh, black America by the democratic establishment, the sacrifice of them, which was what welfare reform was, the crime bill, all that stuff was a sacrifice uh, to maintain uh, their, their power. And, this whole movie is him being absolved of that guilt by being fully embraced in every way. And then finally like absorbed into this, these people who stand as like his, his subconscious, uh, like moral arbiters because like he, they're always who he, uh, evaluated his own, uh, worth in comparison to like his relationship to their struggle. That's I think that's I think that's 100 percent correct. And like at, yeah. at multiple points in this movie, he is asked first by um, a lady in the church in South Central and then later by um, a, a TV interviewer. The, the, this question is asked twice in the movie and it's phrased in the exact same wording where, where people ask him after he after he says something outrageous. They say, are you saying that the Democratic Party doesn't care about the African-American community? And his response both times is, well, obviously. What are you going to do? Vote Republican? Yeah. Yeah. He was saying a lot of real shit. <laughs> for real, for real. It was, it was an interesting dialogue. I'm yeah. still trying to figure out, though, what does that mean? Though, like, don't you got to be, don't you can't, you got to be a spirit. You can't be a ghost. That's what I've been trying to think. Cause I think the idea, I feel like, I think the idea is like, if you, if you interpret it like the, the, very literally, I think the idea is like, well, I mean, both this, a spirit and a ghost are both like, you know, a memory of someone who's dead. But a ghost is just something that's like, it doesn't do anything. It's just there or it fades away or isn't remembered. And a spirit is something that like lives on. And pe- in, in the memory, like a spirit is something that like inspires or lives on or, or sort of like it lives again after death. Whereas right. a ghost like he is wants just, to be yeah. like a spirit like RFK or Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. Not like a ghost, you know, just like some uh, another lame asshole politician who just dies. Like Nelson Rockefeller is a ghost. He fucking had a heart attack on top of his mistress. Yeah, a ghost. Uh, <laughs> all a ghost can do is like make. All a ghost can do is like make a room scary. But a spirit can, <laughs> at the highest end, a spirit can destroy the Mongol fleet in the island of yeah. Tsushima in 1300. And like, it's like, it probably won't. And like, you, 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 if you're a liberal, you basically think it's impossible that nothing will ever change. But, but you know, your value is in, in your, because of course these people are narcissists at the heart is that you are remembered as a force in the world. And if you can't do it in your life, you can do it in death. And so he's creating a fantasized martyrdom for himself that validates his life and his, and all of the, the, the selfishness that had made it up until that point. It was kind well, of beautiful. A twisted, beautiful, mindful fantasy movie. <laughs> well, there we go. That was Warren Beatty's, uh, I think we have now pretty much conclusively established, underrated masterpiece uh, in political satire, Bullworth, a, a, a satire, a portrait of the liberal consciousness, as in the words of Bull, Bullworth, at the doorstep of a new millennium. And I think it has... Uh, it, uh, it not only holds up, I think it's aged quite well since it's probably it's probably better now than when it first came out. Uh, yeah, no, this was like I liked this way more than when I saw it in 2014 or 2004. The difference being like trying too hard to like attack it, I guess, to like think that it's that it's has a different set of like that its portrayed values are the true values of the film. And now, yeah, no, I see it. 
I like enjoy it way more. I feel like, yeah, we've enjoyed it on a way deeper level. Well, uh, one of the mo- one of the main things I enjoyed about this movie was the opportunity to discuss it with the great Gangsta Boo. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for putting me up on a movie that I probably never would have watched. Never it's heard. Weird, of. It's weird. No one, no one's even heard of this yeah, movie. I'm gonna watch it again this weekend with one of my friends. <laughs> when this movie came out, it was like it was well reviewed. It wasn't a big smash at the box office, but but it was by no means a bomb either. No, like yeah, it, this it, movie most made critics money. actually like gave it a positive review, but it has been completely memory hold. So uh, uh, thank you for your efforts to uh, rescue this from the uh, the sands of time. Yes, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> Gangsta Booth, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, thank you. Peace, guys. Right, peace. Till next time. Bye bye. I love that y'all.